Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, where my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that I've grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Paul Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Lots to go through this week, but we've got a guest. Justin Papadakis, COO and Chief Real Estate Officer for the United Soccer League, better known as the USL. He's the first executive in U.S. sports with the title of Chief Real Estate Officer. As things uh, progress in sports, teams are looking not just for where to build a stadium, but how to develop the real estate around the stadium. And USL has a really interesting business model, so we'll dig into that. Obviously, soccer is growing, closing in on baseball as the third most popular sport in the U.S. behind the NFL and the NBA. So we'll talk USL on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good. And uh, I, I like this interview because USL is just such a growing uh, entity. And it's just, it's been fun to see how it's changing and growing and getting bigger and more stadiums and more teams. And yeah, I think uh, his title is very interesting. And I think, like you said, it's just a, that part of uh, developing a stadium. It's not just a building anymore. It's the real estate around it. It's the restaurants, it's the apartments, it's the hotels. So it's, uh, it's a big thing and a cool interview today. Well, and we tend to talk NFL and NBA and Major League Baseball and, and, you know, the big leagues, even Major League Soccer. And this was a good opportunity to dig into the USL. It's certainly not minor league, but, you know, it's not as big as MLS. And, um, you know, it's getting there and they've got more teams and they do men's and women's soccer. So um, good look at the USL on our show this week. All right. Let's get to some headlines because we've got a lot of them this week. We told you last week this is probably going to be a busy week, and and it has been. So Judge Sue L. Robinson, who was appointed by the NFL to look at the Deshaun Watson case, rendered her decision. And Griggs, it's a six-game suspension handed down by Judge Robinson. Um, This is interesting. It's got lots of different overtones to it, but... First of all, what what does it mean for Deshaun Watson? He's going to keep nearly all of his $45 million signing bonus. He will lose $345,000 in salary for the six games that he's going to miss. And he has to see a licensed massage therapist from the team, from the Browns. He's not allowed to go see any 
other massage therapists other than someone who is licensed and works for the Cleveland Browns. To say he's getting off lightly would be an understatement. And Griggs, let me throw some other NFL suspensions at you. So Calvin Ridley, who reportedly bet around $1,500 on an NFL parlay, he got 17 games. So he's going to miss this entire season. Uh, You had Zeke Elliott and Ben Roethlisberger, who got suspended six games in the past. Those cases also lack criminal charges. Um, You've got DeAndre Hopkins, who had traces of performance-enhancing drugs, and he has been suspended six games for this season. Josh Gordon was suspended almost 75 games for marijuana use. Martavius Bryant has been suspended indefinitely for marijuana use. Darren Waller was suspended 16 games for substance abuse. And I read all of these because Deshaun Watson got six games for 25 accusations of sexual violence. And it just doesn't seem to add up. And I wonder what the fans of the NFL, people who look at these suspensions that are all over the map, you would think someone like Deshaun Watson would get a a larger suspension than someone like Calvin Ridley or Josh Gordon. But that's not the case. And I think that's why a lot of fans are upset. And, you know, look, as someone who has three sisters and a daughter, I look at this and I just say this isn't justice here. And I think he should have gotten at least a season maybe indefinite, but that's not how this turned out, Griggs. Yeah, I think uh, this is like the lowest, lowest they could have gone. And I think social media just blew up when this came out and it kind of went through the whole thing you were just talking about with these other suspensions and how there's no consistency. I mean, it's just like all over the board. And really, you know, Deshaun Watson, there's 25 women there that came out that, you know, their lives could be changed because of what happened. A lot of these other suspensions, the players hurting themselves, pretty much that's it right? They're not hurting other people. This is a big deal because he's hurting these women in these lives and it changes so many of these other people's lives. So I think it's ridiculous. Well, and if you want to relate this, and I I think this is the best comparison. A lot of people are trying to compare this to like Zeke Elliott or Ben Roethlisberger. The best comparison for Deshaun Watson, in my opinion, is Trevor Bauer in Major League Baseball. And Major League Baseball hammered Trevor Bauer two years $60 million for non-criminal sexual assault allegations, just like Deshaun Watson. So you compare six games, Watson's suspension, to two years for Major League Baseball suspension of Trevor Bauer, and Griggs, it's not even a comparison. Major League Baseball was much more firm with Trevor Bauer than the NFL is with Deshaun Watson. Now, this could be appealed Roger Goodell has the authority to increase this suspension. But then are you undercutting Judge Sue L. Robinson, who you just put in this position as arbitrator and saying, hey, the first time we ask you to arbitrate, we're going to cut your legs off and, you know, say that wasn't enough and you didn't do a good enough job and and we're going to change the suspension. The NFL Players Association and Deshaun Watson have said they will sue if the penalty is too harsh. And again, they're going to base that on there have not been criminal charges. But here's the deal. When you're one of these leagues, whether it's the NFL, 
Major League Baseball, the NBA, you have certain codes of conduct and character. And Major League Baseball had no problem saying, look, Trevor Bauer has caused embarrassment to Major League Baseball and to the Dodgers. He's tarnished our brand. We're going to suspend him for two years. And most people applauded that suspension and said, that is firm. They took it seriously. That's the way to do it. The NFL, protect the shield. I don't know. Six games just doesn't feel like that's enough. And again, forget about all the other NFL suspensions. I compare this most closely to Trevor Bauer and what Major League Baseball did. And I think that's how the NFL should look at this. And and there should be a zero tolerance uh, for this type of behavior. And a message should be sent to everyone else. And that's not what's happening here. Yeah, sports is big business and big business is messy. And we're seeing that. We see it every year. There's always some kind of a lawsuit. There's some kind of a ruling and it just gets messier and messier. And I think you're right. Without that zero tolerance or without that policy laid down where this is going to happen to you if something happens like this, it just it's going to be all over the ballpark. And I, I agree with the Bauer comparison. I mean, that that's where it hits, you know, two years, 60 million. These guys, money is what really drives them. I think if you hit them in the in the pocketbook, that's what kills them. And the 60 million obviously is a, is a big deal. That's life changing for him. But uh, yeah, the zero tolerance, they've got to get some kind of policy down that's across the board the same. Well, let's remember Deshaun Watson, $230 million guaranteed contract that he signed this offseason with the Cleveland Browns, the most lucrative contract in NFL history. And if you want to go conspiracy theorist here, there's a few things. Number one, Deshaun Watson isn't going to lose any of his nearly $45 million in signing bonus for this year. Because it's being deferred. So it's almost like the Browns were like, hey, we know he's going to lose some money. He's going to get suspended. So we'll defer this money so he doesn't lose any of it. Also, the Browns have the easiest schedule in the NFL during weeks one to six when Watson's supposedly going to be out. Is this really that harsh of a penalty for Deshaun Watson or the Browns? Did they know this was coming? So they structured the contract in a way where it would penalize him the least financially, you just got to raise an eyebrow, Griggs, and, and go, huh, you know, he's getting off really easy here. And again, these poor women and the women that were subject to this. And I'm not going to go into detail because it's disgusting and gross. But if you read the report, the judge says this is one of the most egregious acts that has ever been reviewed by the NFL as far as personal conduct and and sexual violence. So it's in the report. How do you justify six games with what you read in that report and what happened? Again, it just doesn't add up. I think the NFL may lose lots of women fans and even men fans Um, You know, when I see that Deshaun Watson was cheered at training camp the day this came out and, you know, come on, fans, like you got to look at people as more than just someone who can help your team win a game. Like there's got to be some substance there. If this was your daughter who was the victim of sexual violence, I'm sure you'd look at this differently. I don't want to get on my pulpit here, but, you know, these are people and they represent a league. They are the elite of the elite athletes. And if they're doing things to tarnish your brand, like Trevor Bauer did with Major League Baseball, you've got to look at things Differently, And I think the NFL needs to take a page out of Major League Baseball's playbook. I never thought I would say that, but 
Major League Baseball got it right with Trevor Bauer and the NFL needs to do better with Deshaun Watson. It can't be six games. If it is, I think they're going to get a lot of backlash from female fans, from sponsors and from other places. All right. Our next headline sticking in the NFL, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf have lucrative new contracts. Debo with the Niners, DK Metcalf with the Seahawks. Um, Debo had demanded a trade. But as we always say on this show, money usually solves all problems. And it did in this case, Um, you know, lucrative signing bonuses in both cases. Great players, essential to their team's success. But it's amazing, Griggs, the number of wide receivers that have gotten paid this offseason. I think we're around 20 new contracts for wide receivers in the NFL this offseason. I've never seen an offseason where more wide receivers, elite wide receivers are being paid. Cooper Cup. Uh, got an extension. The guaranteed money on these contracts is amazing. And it shows, you know, it used to be 10, 15 years ago, the running backs got paid. The quarterbacks got paid. Now the wide receivers, because it's much more of a passing game in the NFL, these wide receivers are, are cashing in. I was just going to say, I think the game has changed so much the last 10 years where it's become such a passing game that uh, these wide receivers have became uh, become elite athletes and the stars of the show. I mean, you got big names there with Debo and DK. I mean, they're big time stars. Everybody knows their names. And uh, yeah, I think the receiving game, the passing game has made these players very valuable. And I think the next foreseeable future, you're going to see these receivers continue to get paid. But yeah, 20 of them, that, that's big money. All right. Sportico came out with their annual valuations this week of NFL teams. Here's the top five. The Dallas Cowboys come in at $7.6 billion. That's a 10% increase year over year. The LA Rams, Super Bowl champs, $5.9 billion. They come in second on this list, increase of 26% over one year. The New England Patriots, third on the list, even though there's no Tom Brady, still valuable. They've got that beautiful stadium, uh, $5.8 billion dollars that's up 10 percent year over year the new york giants fourth on the list 5.7 billion dollars that's up 24 percent over uh last year and then fifth on the list the san francisco 49ers 5.1 billion dollars that's up 21 percent now they also did valuations of franchises so total value of the franchises in each league so in the nfl $135 billion. And the average franchise is worth uh, $4.14 billion in the NFL. So that leads all leagues. Um, you've got $78 billion for the NBA, $69 billion for Major League Baseball. And keep in mind, this is the total value. So you've got a lot more teams in some of these leagues than in others. Uh, the NHL is $30 billion. And Major League Soccer, $15 billion. And then the Premier League comes in at $25 billion. So that's the total value of the franchises in those leagues, according to Sportico. Griggs, as we always say, you know, you got to be a, a multi-billionaire or get a bunch of them together to get one of these teams. But as this list proves for the NFL, once you own the team, your franchise value is going to continue to skyrocket. I mean, you look at the Cowboys up 10%, the Rams up 26%, the Patriots up 10%, the Giants up 24%, and the Niners up 21%. And you almost can't lose money once you get into the fraternity that is Major League Sports. But uh, here's another one for you. Uh, Sir Lewis Hamilton, 
is now a minority owner with the Denver Broncos. This news just came out today. Um, and, you know, you had Sam Walton who bought the Broncos for a record $4.65 billion about a month ago, two months ago. So now Sir Lewis Hamilton, uh, very well known around the world, he is a minority owner with the Broncos. So I think it's cool that he's joining that group and that group continues to diversify. Keep an eye on that uh, list with the Broncos. I think they continue to put money into that uh, organization and grow that organization. I think they're going to be close to that top 10 list. But, you know, not surprising on those first five teams because you look at those markets. You got L.A., San Francisco, Boston, New York, you know, uh, Dallas. Those are big markets. And if a couple of those have brand new stadiums, if you watched Hard Knocks a couple uh, seasons ago with Dallas, I mean, their their facility is just insane. So you can tell why these are all with billions behind them, not just millions. Millions is like chump change anymore. It's, it's got to be a B in front of it now. All right, more headlines from this week, a busy week. Past sports business radio guest and two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson has joined the Live Golf Tour. No numbers given out, but uh, that's a big get for the Live Golf Tour. And then Live Golf CEO Greg Norman did an interview this week, and he confirmed that Tiger Woods turned down between $700 and $800 million to join Live Golf. And Griggs, to put that in perspective, Tiger has won more money on course than any golfer in the history of the PGA Tour. He's made $121 million. So he could have gotten seven to $800 million from Live Golf after earning $121 in his illustrious career, and he said no. So, you know, people talk about principle. There's some principle right there. People talk about not selling out or not just doing things for money. Everyone has their price and, and Tiger Woods price obviously is, is much higher than seven to 800 million. But I, I don't think there's any amount of money that you could offer Tiger where he would say, yeah, I'm going to do that. Cause he just doesn't seem to want to leave the PGA tour. All of his records are there. He's in good standing. He's part of the history of the game and the fabric of the game of golf and um, you know, I, I'm not saying that Bubba made the wrong move. And it's interesting because a lot of the golfers that live is signing, they're 40 and over. They're never going to see this kind of money again. They're just trying to make cuts. And on live tour, not only are you getting this big upfront money guaranteed, it's also no cut. So anytime you play in a tournament, you're guaranteed that you're going to get money for appearing. So, you know, again, I'm not going to sit here and, and get on my pulpit about live golf and um, you know what the the people backing it and the money behind it, but I'm just giving you the numbers and and Bubba is in and Tiger Woods turned down you know gosh that's a lot of money seven to eight hundred million dollars to join the Live Golf Tour. That's a crazy amount and the stat that you gave how he only won you know not only won but he won 120 million his whole thing in PGA. That's just crazy. I mean, that is like, what, six times more or whatever. I mean, that is just, it's just astounding the money that they're throwing around to these players. But uh, a good point you brought up too, that a lot of those players signing are in their latter stages of playing and, uh, you know, look at that guaranteed money and how the setup of the tournaments are. You can see why they're taking it. But uh, man, they keep getting some big names. Bubba's a big one. He's watchable. He's fun on the course. He's, uh, you know, charismatic. We've had him on the show, like you mentioned. So yeah, they, they just keep growing. But still, I keep saying they got to get some kind of broadcast or streaming something going. Uh, they're not going to get anybody watching it. All right. A few more headlines. The NBA has begun an investigation into the New York Knicks for alleged tampering 
Regarding free agent pickup Jalen Brunson, this is according to Chris Haynes from Yahoo Sports. Not surprised by this at all. Um, He didn't even take a meeting with the Mavericks. Uh, His dad works for the Knicks. He grew up knowing Leon Rose, who was an agent and who now is an executive with the Knicks. I mean, you can put part of this under uh, he's family and, you know, he wanted to come home, so to speak, and, and play with people he had grown up with. But then there's the other part of this that you just can't imagine that there weren't some conversations that were taking place before free agency opened. Because as soon as free agency opened, it was like, oh, hey, Jalen Brunson's going to be going to the Knicks. And he's not even giving the Mavericks a meeting. And Griggs, I'm sorry, you could file tampering charges against half or three quarters of the NBA teams because as soon as the free agency period uh, hits, you see Woj and, and Shams announcing like every deal. It's like they've got a backlog of deals and it's like, wait a minute, I thought free agency just opened. So how, you know, a minute into free agency are we announcing all these deals? Obviously, these conversations took place before free agency opened. So you could file tampering against a lot of teams. We did see a few teams penalized uh, last summer. Uh, They lost second round picks. Is the NBA going to come up with something more harsh to deter teams from tampering in the future? I just don't know how you get around this. Because the other thing is, if it's not the executives that are recruiting you, it's the players on the team that are recruiting you. And and there's no rules that a player, you know, can't say, hey, we've played together in the Olympics or we played together in AAU and we played together in college. Let's get together and team up on an NBA team. There's no rule preventing that. So you could kind of be the de facto GM when the GM can't actually talk to you. Yeah, I think this whole tampering thing is just corny. I think it's like you mentioned, it, everybody's doing it. I mean, you got to be kidding me. LeBron, LeBron and uh, Durant aren't talking in the offseason. I mean, everybody's got everybody's phone numbers. It's just it's just dumb. And again, there's no set you know rule. There's no set penalty. Kind of like we were talking about with Deshaun, where it's just like, oh, this guy, yeah, we'll give him two games. I mean, oh, this guy, we'll give him six. This team gets penalized. It's just it's all over the board. And I think everybody's doing it and they got to do something that's going to be more harsh and more bottom line deadline zero tolerance. This is what happens. Yeah. LeBron and uh, Draymond Green are out traveling in Toronto together. There's been a lot of uh, images on social media of them video. They're having a great time. They're friends. They're represented by the same agency. So, you know, is that tampering? Is that, Ooh, is, you know, Draymond recruiting LeBron or LeBron recruiting Draymond? Like, come on. They're they're gonna have those conversations, like you said. So this whole tampering thing, either you got to drop the hammer and and make it harder to tamper, or let's not pretend that we're gonna, you know, punish people for tampering when everyone's doing it. All right, the last headline, and I save this for last because this is very sad. But he did live a good life, and he was just an icon. He was so much more than just an athlete. Bill Russell passes away at 88 Celtics great I mean Griggs this will never be duplicated 11 NBA titles in 13 seasons people talk about Michael Jordan they talk about Kobe Bryant they talk about you know some of the the greatest Steph Curry no one will ever win 11 titles in 13 seasons again I feel really confident saying that five MVP awards the first black head coach in NBA history or in U.S. sports history, NFL, Major League Baseball, Bill Russell was first. He was a social justice giant. We've seen the picture a lot this week on TV and on social media. 
of Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Muhammad Ali, and Jim Brown. They were doing this before LeBron or Steph Curry or you know any of these other athletes were out there promoting change and talking about social justice. They were doing this when you couldn't eat in the same restaurant together. You couldn't stay in the same hotel together. When people were coming to Bill Russell's house, breaking in and defecating in his bed and you know writing things on his wall, Boston was not an easy place for him to play early in his career because of the racism that existed there. So when you talk about the most iconic athletes in sports history, U.S. sports history, Bill Russell has to be on that list. I mean, you know, it's the four I mentioned and and Jackie Robinson um, for social justice and, and change in this country. But, you know, the MVP of the NBA finals is now the Bill Russell MVP award. Um, And, you know, again, he won 11 titles in 13 seasons. He probably would have more MVP awards than any other player in sports history if they had given that out in the NBA. But it was great to see him come and, you know, give the award to Steph Curry or give it to Kobe or give it to Shaq or give it to Michael Jordan or whoever was receiving that MVP award. I think it kept him young, but he was such a great teammate, too. Um, that's what you hear from everyone who played with him. He was selfless. You know, he didn't put up the most gaudy stats, even though his rebounding stats are ridiculous. Um, but he just knew how to win. And, you know, he knew how to guard Wilt Chamberlain. And whenever he was going up against the best, he always came out on top with the final score. He may not have had better stats, but he came up big in the biggest of games. And I just think he's iconic. And um, so much more than just an athlete. And if you're raising a child today and you want them to be, you know, not only a champion, but also stand for something off the field of play or off the court, you got to look at Bill Russell as a role model, Griggs. Oh, for sure. And I love just how involved he still was even into his last days, you know, with the, with the league and with teams and with kids. You you saw him at every NBA event, you know, at the All-Star event and all the awards stuff. I mean, he loved the game. He loved being around the game. And uh, I think he was uh, just an iconic person to you just electric. You wanted to be around him. You could tell he was likable and everybody loved to be around him. And I mean, think about that. He's got more rings than he has fingers to hold. And that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And, and I love that he was like a an uncle to many of the stars of the last 20 years. I mean, Kobe Bryant always wanted to learn some wisdom from Bill Russell, Kevin Garnett. Like they just wanted to soak up his experience and his wisdom both on and off the court. Um, And he had so many techniques that he passed down to this generation of players, whether it was practice or how you prepare for a game. And it was great that he was willing to kind of share the DNA and, and the code with, younger players today because not everyone's willing to do that. So um, he was just a special human being. And, you know, you could make an argument that in the history of the NBA, and the NBA isn't really that old, 75 years, he was maybe the most important player and certainly the greatest champion that the NBA has ever had. Um, And again, the first black coach in NBA history. So whether it was as a player or a coach or what he was doing off of the court, He was a really special person, so he will be missed. All right, before we get to the interview with Justin Papadakis from the USL, 
Griggs, I'm headed to Europe. I am going to be going to Europe on uh, September 8th. I'll be there kind of indefinitely. I'm going to go over there and, and see what's going on, but I, I've got some uh, English Premier League tickets, probably go see Arsenal. Um, I've got a friend, Nigel Travis, who's been on the show before, former chair of Duncan Brands, who owns uh, a football club, Leighton Orient. I'll probably go see a few of their matches and tour their stadium. But, you know, I'll be starting in London. And if you want me to come pay a visit to you and maybe peek under the hood of your organization and interview you for Sports Business Radio, let me hear from you. You can DM me on Twitter at SB Radio at SB Radio on Twitter. But Griggs, I've been to all parts of the world. I've never spent a lot of time in Europe. Sports Business Radio is almost 19 years old, if you can believe that. And we've never really dug into sports business in Europe like I think we should. So I'm going to go over there for a little bit and meet some people and tell some stories. And like I said, if if you want your story told, reach out to me on Twitter at SB Radio and uh, happy to come visit your organization if it fits into my itinerary. Yeah, I'm super excited for you. That's going to be an epic trip. And I've been across the pond. I went to uh, Germany and uh, Amsterdam, Munich, Holland, that kind of area, but I've never been to London and kind of where you're going. And I'm jealous that you get to see Arsenal. That's going to be amazing. Some of those stadiums and those crowd bases are just nuts over there in the Premier League. So yeah, I think it's going to be a fun trip for you. And uh, I think you'll probably end up being over with Ted Lasso, I'm assuming, right? So that would be great. Crystal Palace FC is the uh, home field on the hit show, Ted Lasso. So I kind of want to stop by there and, and see what's going on. But we are working on potentially having someone from the cast of Ted Lasso join us again on Sports Business Radio to preview season three. So we had Coach Beard on uh, before season one. That's Brendan Hunt, the actor. Uh, we had Jeremy Swift on to promote season two. We'll see who we may be able to get for season three, but how cool would it be, Griggs, if it worked out where I'm able to talk to someone from the cast of Ted Lasso sitting in Crystal Palace FC Stadium, the uh, home to AFC Richmond on the hit show Ted Lasso. That would be pretty fun to be able to do that. And what I really want to do, Griggs, is I want to find that bar where they always get together and have pints and fish and chips and I want to go in there and have a pint and some fish and chips. Oh, for sure. That that little area, wherever they film that little strip of that street with the bar and that whole crew would be just epic to be a part of that. So yeah, I'm excited for you. It's going to be an awesome trip and uh, have fun. Enjoy London. Yeah, we've got a few more weeks before uh, I head over there. But uh, yeah, it will be a fun trip. So again, if you want me to stop by and uh, look into your organization, interview someone from your organization, uh, DM me at S be radio and one final request we ask that you rate and review sports business radio on itunes we're looking to get more reviews more ratings so take a few minutes we've been around like i said almost 19 years uh if you listen to this podcast regularly or if you've just enjoyed some of our interviews uh we'd love to hear from you so rate and review sports business radio on itunes all right griggs We've got our guest coming up next, Justin Papadakis, the COO and Chief Real Estate Officer for the United Soccer League, or USL. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Brian Berger here. 
Roan is the new official menswear partner of Sports Business Radio. I love their product. I've been a fan for a long time. Did you know David Stern was one of their first investors? Roan makes the absolute highest quality, best fitting, and most comfortable performance-driven clothing for men. Their entire line places emphasis on an active, balanced, and purpose-driven lifestyle. I'm wearing my spar joggers. I've got them in uh, heather gray. I've got them in navy. I've got my moleskin commuter slim pant. I've got my regular black commuter pant. I've got my dress shirts. So when I'm out in in in-person meetings, I have the nicer Roan product to wear. But most of the time, I'm working from home. And I've got my rain long sleeve gray heather camo. I've got my rain long sleeve hoodies. I am wearing the shorts for workouts, the seven inch Mako shorts. So I'll tell you what, from top to bottom, whether it's casual or business wear, Roan has me covered. I know they're going to have you covered too. And Roan is offering sports business radio podcast listeners 15% off your purchase. Go to Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com and enter code SBR15 at checkout, like Sports Business Radio 15, SBR15 at checkout, receive 15% off your purchase. That's Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com, and enter promo code SBR15 at checkout. My guest is Justin Papadakis. He is the COO and Chief Real Estate Officer for the United Soccer League better known as the USL. Justin, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. So, all right, let's start with that. Um, Chief Real Estate Officer. I've hosted this show 18 years. I'm not sure I've seen someone with that title, but it's become so much more important when you build a stadium now or an arena that it's part of a bigger master plan. You're not just sticking them out in the middle of nowhere most times. It's part of a bigger economic development. Um, You have a great background in real estate. So how is that helping the USL? So Brian, we've really taken real estate as part of our core strategy. And so when we look at building a stadium, what we really think about is how to build a stadium anchored entertainment district. That can mean different uh, shapes and sizes and different component parts to the development in different markets. But it's something we really, really think about when we look in a core part of our growth strategy and what's different um, from every other league uh, in in the United States and and likely around the world is that we've taken an approach where the league um, has gone out for the past six or seven years and gone into markets and, you know, just really blessed having an amazing real estate team of people uh, that we work on you know, 35 to 40 markets at once. And we'll go in and work with our our city, county, state partners, uh, the soccer community, the business community, the philanthropic community, all these stakeholders that are necessary to get a stadium anchor development project over the line and work with them for, you know, one to five plus years on identifying the land, getting it entitled, getting the financing package together, putting the different component parts of the real estate deal together. And then we'll go out and and select an owner 
uh, that will ultimately own the team and develop the real estate uh, to take to uh, be the steward uh, there thereafter. And so it's uh, definitely what we're most proud of as, as a league is uh, one getting to have and see the transformational change um, in because we really try to focus on kind of the 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 inner city um, where we can drive uh, jobs and economic impact. Um, and then, you know, as a result of that, we create really sustainable teams uh, that have great economics that enable us uh, to keep growing from an asset value um, and keep growing in terms of number of really high performing franchises uh, around the country. So as far as my research tells me, the USL is aiming to have 80 professional clubs within the next three to four years. This is men and women. When you're looking at ownership groups, size of stadium, like what are some of the key elements you're looking for when you are looking for expansion? So I think where we'll end up is probably 35 uh, in the championship, 35 in league one. And then our Super League, which is our women's uh, uh, property, will come on top of that. So, you know, I think we'll have about 70 plus markets, um, which could have uh, 100 plus teams because you the, the our women's uh, franchises uh, will be, you know, doubling up on, on a lot of those markets. And that's so exciting. Um, again, what we're most proud of uh, beyond the economic impact is that we're creating thousands of professional playing jobs, coaching jobs, front office jobs um, that really enable the soccer ecosystem. And you need an ecosystem for a sport to develop. And it's so important that in markets outside of the top 30 markets that they can see professional women's uh, men's and women's soccer in a first class venue week in and week out. And then it's their team. Um, so that's what we really try to think about is how to create these great stadiums, have great fan bases. And every week um, you have this soundtrack to a soccer game and excitement around a soccer game that, you know, I, a little bias, I don't think exists in other sports. Um, and that's where I think you're seeing this massive growth in soccer. And it'll be so much fun. Uh, with the World Cup coming to the United States in 2026, when you bookend 2026 versus 1994, which was really meant to kickstart professional soccer in the United States, when the whole soccer community looks between the the USL, the MLS, the NWSL, soccer is going to be in such a magnificent place. And we're so proud uh, to be a part of you know, building the game here uh, in the United States. Yeah, I mean, in the U.S., you've got football, you've got basketball, you've got baseball, but soccer is closing in quickly on baseball as the third most popular sport in the U.S. So you're right. In 1994, you know, soccer in the United States wasn't in that top five, but now you look at the landscape and it's really changed. It has, and we have unique dynamics to soccer, which makes it so exciting. So Outside of soccer, um, you have this major minor league construct, right? Where, take baseball, you have the major league teams and you have the minor league teams. And the minor league team's goal is to rehab injury, develop players for the major league. Soccer is different. 
Um, and so one, we have teams on a week in, week out basis that might draw more than the MLS teams. Um, they have bigger stadiums, generally speaking. They have higher budgets um, across the board than us. But we have um, soccer uh, uh, dynamic in the United States where we, our teams can be very competitive and we don't position ourselves as minor league. So we also play them in a tournament every year. And so we're coming up uh, in uh, the next week or two um, for a final of the Open Cup, which is where we play the MLS. And of all the USL teams and all the MLS teams, a USL team is playing an MLS team in the final. And again, that just wouldn't happen in any other sport. Right. It makes soccer unique. And we're looking to um, work with our owners in the next couple of years to look at really adding a whole nother level uh, to the interest level of soccer by looking at things like promotion relegation. And so these are concepts that um, we, we try to we try to make USL different. But most importantly, what we try to do is really be the, the club of our local markets, right? And so um, it's not supporting the bigger city, you know, three or four hours away. It's having your own professional club that you can go on ESPN Plus and you can watch a championship team, a USL championship, USL League One M or, or MLS. You can watch all those on kind of equal billing. And so I think everyone's really responded to that. Um, and again, that's what drove fan interest. And I think that's what really drove uh, partner, you know, corporate partner interest and what's driving the ownership interest um, in soccer and particularly the USL because we are being able to engage, uh, engage our communities in such a kind of fundamental way. In addition, again, to kind of the real estate side, which helps drive fan interest because you're not only going to a game, you're going to a development typically. Um, so it's a whole night of uh, holistic entertainment. For our audience who isn't familiar with franchise values for USL teams, again, I know you're talking about packaging this in with real estate, um, MLS franchise values, and even NWSL franchise values have skyrocketed in the last five to 10 years. What's the average price of a USL franchise? Just ballpark so people have some idea. First, let me tell you about where we were uh, 10 years ago when this management team took over the USL. Okay. You know, teams were about $50,000, $7,500. Okay. Um, we played in high school stadiums. Um, you know, they, it, it really was kind of a quasi-adult league plus type of, uh, of league. Fast forward, now we have $2.5 billion of stadium anchor development. Uh, another $2 billion of stadium anchor, anchor development coming uh, before the end of the year. Um, and now teams are trading, uh, depending on our leagues. We have League One and Championship um, and soon to be Super League. Um, teams are trading at 20 to 70 plus million. And so uh, that's where the values like our, you know, our friends at the MLS and NWSL, we've seen a continuous year over year uh, drive in terms of asset value. And uh, what's most exciting about uh, that, even though we're up into the, you know, 20 to 70 million, 
we re- and that excludes real estate. Okay. Um, what is most exciting about that is we really haven't hit the major revenue verticals uh, for pro soccer teams. So when you think about, you know, media deal, uh, we have a great, you know, partnership with ESPN now. Um, as we look forward, now that we've proved ourselves, uh, we've proved our audience base, um, the media side will become a significant portion of our revenue like it is for other sports. When you look at sports betting, that's just starting to have a flow down effect in terms of team economics. You won't really see that in full effect probably for another two or three years. Player transfers. Um, so for those that aren't uh, you know, uh, familiar with soccer, in the other sports, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, you trade players. In soccer, you sell players or in soccer parlance, you transfer players. And so um, in worldwide, you know, particularly European soccer, those transfers will be 10, 20, 30, 50, all the way up to 300 plus million dollars. Um, for the USL, players have uh, that the transfer market was very, very nascent. But this uh, recently, we've had our first $750,000 transfer. Likely we'll have our first, hopefully, million-dollar transfer by the end of the year. And so it builds on itself. The MLS is spending more on transfers, which will be a great domestic you know, uh, source of uh, 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 buying for us. Uh, but we, we operate on a worldwide transfer market. And so we, uh, a little biased, but I think the United States produces the best athletes in the world. We just haven't developed them right for soccer. But that has totally changed now. Our teams are creating really strong academies. We're building great training uh, centers. And they get to play in amazing venues on ESPN Plus in front of 5, 10, 12,000 people week in and week out. And so players have a great playing experience. That's only going to get better um, as we keep growing our footprint. We keep adding more markets underneath our academy structure uh, because talent's evenly distributed. The best players don't just grow up in Atlanta. I mean, in, in New York, Atlanta, in LA, you, they come from everywhere. And so the more markets that we have, the more that we'll be able to offer those players a great development uh, pathway. And over the years, you'll start to see, you know, uh, more Christian politics start to come through because we've really solved the development uh, pathway for soccer players in the United States. And so that's so exciting to be able to see, again, how that, that's going to translate to success at the World Cups. And it's also going to translate into more resources through transfers coming in that our teams will then recycle back into the development process so that they we can just keep producing better players through better facilities, coaches, et cetera. What's the ideal stadium size as you create the stadium of the future? You mentioned before five, ten, twelve thousand as an audience for these matches. But you know, it's interesting. I've seen, especially like in arenas, they're scaling back to become more intimate instead of, oh, we need you know, 20, 22,000, we'd rather have 16 or 17,000 with some places you can stand and 
have a drink and, and things like that. As you're kind of creating the stadium experience going forward, what does that look like? It's a great question. It's something that we think about and it definitely is an iterative process because how fans are consuming sports and live, and live entertainment is changing, uh, changing every year. And so from a um, capacity perspective, um, which is a little bit different than seats. Um, so seats will be lower than capacity because of the standing area that, that you mentioned that is becoming increasingly popular, especially with millennials um, and especially within the premium that most people or a lot of people don't like fixed seats because then I can only talk to the person on my left and on my right. Um, they like areas that they can go mingle uh, with their friends and family, mingle with corporate partners, um, and, and consume the game, uh, in a more free flow area. But for us, getting back to your question, we've been artificially capped, uh, because pre us building stadiums, like we are now, um, we were in kind of USL 1.0 stadiums that were very small. So if you look at like Colorado Springs, for example, they were playing in a 5,000 seat venue that was I would say in a uh, C minus location within the city. And they were, you know, averaging in the three, 3000 range. And it was very kind of general admission type seating within their old venue. Move to uh, when they move to their new venue as they are at now, it's in an A plus location. Um, it's in a modern uh, venue. And, you know, week, last week, I think they had 8,000 people. And so it is a function of getting to seeing where we can be in the championship. I think we'll be building in that 7,500 on the low end up to, you know, the 15,000 capacity mark. Again, seats will be lower than that. Um, and then League One, I think we'll be in the, the 5,000 to 10,000 uh, range. And so, but we also really try to think of our stadiums as multi-purpose venues. So in addition to men's professional soccer and women's professional soccer, we also really think about concerts, um, festivals, and all sorts of other uh, events that we can have there. And so again, we might trade a, a, a permanent stage that we use for group seating, uh, group uh, premium during the soccer match, but then that enables us to have a quicker turnover to a concert the next night. And so it's really optimizing for the market and the, the dynamics and obviously the market sizes are different, but also the dynamics within the market are different, such as, you know, the, um, the degree to which they have, uh, open air concert venues. Um, so that changes in every market and that will influence our, um, you know, our design in addition to the overall site constraints, um, that are, that are different per project. Cause we really, if possible, again, like to have a mixed use development around it, um, which enables the fans to have a great time before the game, uh, and, and after the game. You're talking about the league side of things. I'm seeing more and more ownership groups. They need someone like you in their group. They need a real estate expert. It's not just about acquiring a team anymore. It is, again, that bigger development. Are you starting to see that as well when ownership groups put 
uh, a group together, they're like, we need someone in this group who understands real estate expertise. For sure. So we, a lot of our ownership groups do have either the primary or, or, or one part of their ownership group uh, have someone uh, with a real estate background. The league, depending on the market, um, hopefully has done a lot of the, the groundwork for them uh, to put together the project. And then our, you know, our whole real estate team um, is, of course, available to all of our teams to help them through the process. Um, you know, I always say, you know, building a stadium is kind of like a wedding. Like after you do one, uh, you know, you're like, oh, you figured out all the things that went wrong. Uh, so, you know, for us after, you know, 10, 15, 20 now, um, I think we have a really unique perspective on it because we get to be part of so many uh, projects that we've done and so many active projects uh, that it's, you know, in, uh, an expertise that I feel like we have a um, unique uh, vantage point on uh, because we're so fortunate to get to work on uh, so many across the country of different sizes and shapes um, and different opportunities and limitations. Before I let you go, I want to ask you a little bit about yourself personally. So I read you went to Duke and you played on the, the men's varsity team. So you understand soccer at a pretty deep level because you played college soccer at Duke. Is that right? So I had the fortune of playing uh, my, my dad, who's our, 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 our CEO, uh, was a really good player. So I had a really good coach and I think I was a good player with a great coach. Um, and then when you look more broadly at our league office, um, a very significant number of our league office played soccer. So we really like to think that we are, uh, we, we are a player, uh, first league. Um, we understand the game. Um, this isn't, uh, again, our biggest and thing that we're most proud of is we've really helped develop the soccer game by providing, you know, opportunities for players and coaches. Uh, to be part of this game that that we all love. Um, and from Duke, you know, looking, I had a real estate background. And I remember, you know, I, I went with my dad to the LA Live project uh, when I was graduating around 2008. And that project was just opening. And, and you know, he said, this is going to be really the future of sports is going to be the stadium entertainment districts. And so that's something that we just really, really leaned in on. And it's been a core part about uh, of of our league's growth, and what I think it's you know again it's growth, but sustainable growth because the if you look at you know the leagues and teams that that haven't been successful in the United States, whether it's soccer or football or, or other sports, the common denominator in my uh, view has been leagues that have owned and controlled their stadiums and leagues that have been tenants. Um, and leagues and teams have been tenants. And so, uh, again, our, our central thesis has been we have to own and control our stadiums uh, because if you don't, it's very, very, very challenging to have sustainable long-term economics. And so like, we're executing on that. Um, and, you know, we're really proud that we're, I think, by far and away from a number perspective, of course, other leagues have are building larger, uh, more expensive stadiums. Uh, but in terms of number, you know, the, the, uh, the largest stadium builder in, in the world. Um, and that's a really a, a testament of the, I think the 
appetite for professional soccer, uh, men's and women's. Now, I think more people uh, from cities, they, they talk about our, our Super League, our women's platform. And I think we have to remind them that we also have a men's, uh, men's league. Uh, and so that's so exciting. Um, it makes the stadiums, you know, we go from 25 dates to 50 dates. Um, so it's more stadium usage. And we have a, we're playing the women's on our international calendar. Um, so you really have this great um, synergy and usage, uh, con- continuous usage of the stadium uh, around the year. So it's so exciting. And, you know, again, really grateful to be part of, you know, the growth of the sport uh, in the United States. Justin Papadakis, the COO and Chief Real Estate Officer for the United Soccer League, better what, better known as the USL. Justin, thanks so much. I love what you guys are doing, and uh, I'll keep tabs on this, and uh, good luck with everything. Thanks, Brian. Uh, really follow your podcast very closely. Uh, appreciate your coverage of the USL, and thanks for your time today. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This episode of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the fastest growing fantasy app ever released and the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio. And with early investors like Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, Adam Schefter, and Jared Goff, I know that Underdog Fantasy is made for people like me who are on the go and want something quick, easy, and fun to play. And today we've got a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. If you sign up to Underdog Fantasy using the promo code SBR, they're going to double your first deposit up to $100. No risk, no long-term commitment. Just sign up using promo code SBR and your first deposit is matched up to $100 for free. I already play Underdog Fantasy on the Underdog Fantasy app, but if I didn't, I'd use that free $100 and go for a pick'em contest where I can bet the over-under on individual players or team matchups. Or maybe the Best Ball Mania 3 contest worth $10 million in total prizes. All you have to do is draft a team for the season. No waivers, no lineups, no injury reports. Underdog Fantasy takes care of all of that for you. So do what I've been doing. Go to Underdog Fantasy, download the app, sign up with promo code SBR, and get started right away with a free match on your first deposit up to $100. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our team at Sports Business Radio, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, and our friends at CG Sports who power Sports Business Radio, CG Young, Matt Amerlin, Nicole Wardle, and Calvin Wirtz. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.